Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the live-streamed church services and the podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael in part two of his message called Repentance and Restoration 2. Now, if you just think for a moment with me, you know that Satan was introduced in the book of Job in chapters 1 and 2, where Satan is engaged with God in dialogue. God raises Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. And then Satan takes God to task, if you will, saying that the only reason that Job follows you, worships you, is because you've blessed him. Take away the hedge. Remove the blessings, remember? And he will curse you to your face. And God allows uh, Satan to get at Job. He can't take Job's life. But Satan took just about everything away from Job. And Job has had the forces of darkness come at his life like a flood. Now, Job doesn't know the source. Ultimately, God has allowed it. But Job believes that God has become his enemy. But it's actually the enemy of our souls with both barrels, if you will, that has come hard after Job. And with the chaos of Job's life, and keep in mind that this Leviathan, was this beast was also known as the author of chaos. And that's what evil is. It makes us feel chaotic. In fact, the word shalom in Hebrew, the word for peace that we've all heard about, is uh, that which is the opposite of chaos. In fact, when true shalom, when true peace comes into your life, God will remove the author of chaos out of your life. And so this is what Leviathan represents. An historic creature, sharp teeth, huge, the, the predator of the deep at the time, but also symbolizes, embodies this idea of dark evil that has flooded Job's life. And one of the questions that Job has been asking is, Lord, is there anything that's going to stop this evil in my life. And, and Job has been asking deep questions about God. And one of the longings that he, he has had in his heart is to have an audience with God so that he can ask his questions, so that he can plead his case, so that he can bring his innocence before the Most High. And finally, as Job 38 unfolded, God answered Job out of the whirlwind and the second speech out of the storm. And God said, okay, you want an audience with me? Here it is. And this, Bible students, is God speaking now directly to Job and speaking by virtue of that to us. We are in dark, unprecedented times in our life. We're wondering if the forces of darkness will be stopped. We're wondering what God is doing. Why has he allowed this? Have we become his enemy you could fill in the blank. We've got all kinds of questions, and we know better. We know God loves us. We know God is even using this time to refine us, even though it's been very difficult and painful. And Job had those kinds of questions. Now, the point I was making is that we are moving in the book of Job from the lesser to the greater. And Leviathan is lesser than the Lord, of course, because the Lord made behemoth, and the Lord made Leviathan. I just want you to think about the raw power it takes to make a star, to make water and oceans, 
to make even the smallest creature or organism. How about the thought of the complexity of DNA? Now I want you to think about a massive creature like a blue whale. Think about a great white shark. Think about the complexity of life. And God is saying one of the biggest creatures, one of the most deadly sea monsters, I made him. I made Behemoth, chapter 40, verse 15. I made Leviathan. And it's moving from the lesser to the greater. See, Job has been trying, if you will, to put God on a leash. And God says, you can't put Leviathan on a leash. And you can't put the Lord on a leash. And here's the application, brethren, and this is hard to take. But here's what it is. We, like Job, often want to control God. And we found unique ways, sometimes even in the professing church, to set up our lives so that we think we're in control. So that we, we uh, navigate a certain way, or we pray a certain way, or we say things a certain way, and we think, okay, now I'm going to get an automatic. It's going to come to me. But see, Job had lived a righteous life. He was the most righteous man that God bragged about, and still he suffered. And the message to you and to me is that we're not in control, but the one who is in control amazingly came down to save us because he loves us. So when we look at a, a book like Job and we look at what God is saying, we need to understand how God still condescended to enter into our pain, to deal with the Leviathans in our lives. And you could put quotes around a Leviathan because there's a lot of things that we all wrestle with that are scary and dark and unpredictable. And we'd like to control them. We'd like to be able to put a fish hook in it and put a noose around its nose and stop it. But God is saying, you're going to have to look to me because there are things in this world that are bigger than you. And we're all discovering that as we go through this crisis together. There are things that are bigger than any man, any woman, any leader. And the only uh, thing well, I, would say, I should say it this way. The thing that concern, should concern us the most is our own mortality. And the only one big enough can, that can deal with our mortality is the God, the true God of the Bible, who came down and defeated death in the person of Jesus Christ and rose on the third day. We just celebrated it on Sunday. You see, you can't catch Leviathan from the lesser to the greater Job. And you couldn't put a noose around him where he might say, ouch, Job, that hurts. Loosen up, dude. It's not going to happen. And that's why God is holding up this creature. He's saying, Job, you're not in control, but I am. And I do love you. This Leviathan wouldn't make a covenant with you, but you've been trying to make a covenant with me. You've been trying to get an audience with me. You've been trying to get a court date with me to plead your case. Uh, as if to say, I wasn't running the universe the way I should, and maybe you could do a better job. What was implied in some of the comments and questions that Job had, and he was bordering on pride, but he was suffering, and he's still suffering. And I want you to know that when Job repents at the end of this study that we're going to do together, he's still suffering. God has not restored him yet. And so in the midst of our suffering, we want to go to God. And it's hard. Will you play with him as with a bird? Birds were pets in the ancient Near East. Children loved to play with doves and sparrows. They were considered pets for little children. Can you imagine if a dad came home to his daughters? Will you, uh, will you bind him for your maidens or your uh, little girls? 
Would you bring home Leviathan as a pet? It's an absurd scene, isn't it? Hey, hey girls, look what I brought home for you. Maybe we can teach him a few tricks. Uh, he would eat the whole family, right? Nobody would ever do that. And God says, will you play with them as you would play with a bird? Remember, from the lesser to the greater. Will the traitors bargain over him if they could catch him, which they can't? Will they divide him among the merchants? There may be an implication in verse 6 that you and your friends, your so-called comforters, have been talking back and forth about me and my ways. But that's not the way it works. We can come up with our ideas. We can try to figure out the different angles of things. But what do we really know? How much do we really know? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Let your hand, uh, lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. If you ever tried, you wouldn't be able to do it again. Behold, verse 9, chapter 41, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? The answer is yes. No one is so fierce that he dares, dares to arouse him. Who then from the lesser to the greater is he that can stand before me? You think Leviathan's bad? You see, when people in the Bible truly encountered God, I think of Samson's parents. I think it's the dad was Manoah. And in the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, you're going to have a child. And they offered a sacrifice. And they looked at one another. The husband looked at the wife and said, we've seen God. How are we not dead? And the wife said, well, he accepted our sacrifice. And we're not dead because obviously he wants to do something, paraphrasing. And he told us about future events, i.e. that Samson was going to be born. But people holy people who saw the Lord hit the deck. Our God is a consuming fire. In Exodus 19, when he comes on Sinai, he comes in fire, in storm. In Exodus 33, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, no one can see my face and live. God is holy. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe, robe filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, but I was undone. I saw my sinfulness. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord, the King. See, really what God is trying to say to Job and to us is, my friend, you don't know who you're dealing with. You you obviously don't know who I really am. And Job is going to say at the end of this section, Lord, I heard about you and I did my best to worship you, but now I've seen you. Now I see you for who you really are. Now I understand a little bit more of your power and your majesty and your glory. See, this is our problem. We don't really know who God is. And it is hard for us as humans to really understand. That's why God has taken this huge, deadliest of sea monsters to give us a point of reference so that we could at least get a little bit of a taste of who he is, that he made this creature and he could destroy this creature with a word. In Jeremiah 50, verse 44, at the end of the verse, God says, who is like me and who will summon me into court? Who then is the shepherd who can stand before me? In Job 41, 11, it says, who is given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Note this, that in Romans 11.35, as Paul celebrates a doxology to the Lord, he quotes Job 41.11 in Romans 11.35. 
And God uh, is being lauded by Paul in a uh, doxology, which has the idea of glorifying God. And what he's saying is, who has known the mind of the Lord? You know, his, the depths of his mind are unsearchable, past finding out, and quotes the book of Job. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. As you know, the coronavirus pandemic has forced local and state governments to make some regulations to keep people safe. That means Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California, the church behind Walk-In Truth, where Michael Lance serves as senior pastor, must resort to live streaming their Wednesday night and Sunday morning services. Many churches are having to face the same shutdown to abide by social distancing regulations. If your church isn't able to live stream their service, we invite you to fellowship with us from the comfort of your home during this unfortunate time. Visit walkintruth.com and click on church. That's walkintruth.com. Click on church. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. In Exodus 19, when he comes on Sinai, he comes in fire, in storm. In Exodus 33, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, no one can see my face and live. God is holy. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, but I was undone. I saw my sinfulness. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the King. See, really what God is trying to say to Job and to us is, my friend, you don't know who you're dealing with. You you obviously don't know who I really am. And Job is going to say at the end of this section, Lord, I heard about you and I did my best to worship you, but now I've seen you. Now I see you for who you really are. Now I understand a little bit more of your power and your majesty and your glory. See, this is our problem. We don't really know who God is. And it is hard for us as humans to really understand. That's why God has taken this huge, deadliest of sea monsters to give us a point of reference so that we could at least get a little bit of a taste of who he is, that he made this creature and he could destroy this creature with a word. In Jeremiah 50, verse 44, at the end of the verse, God says, who is like me and who will summon me into court? Who then is the shepherd who can stand before me? In Job 41, 11, it says, who is given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Note this, that in Romans 11.35, as Paul celebrates a doxology to the Lord, he quotes Job 41.11 in Romans 11.35. And God uh, is being lauded by Paul in a uh, doxology, which has the idea of glorifying God. And what he's saying is, who has known the mind of the Lord? You know, his, the depths of his mind are unsearchable, past finding out, and quotes the book of Job. Also quotes Isaiah, who has been the Lord's counselor? You see, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24. Everything is his. In Psalm 50, verses 10 through 15, write this down for your notes. It says, Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, says God. Everything that moves in the field is mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. Psalm fifty fifteen. And I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God doesn't owe us anything. But brethren, he's given us everything. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Every blessing in Jesus Christ in heavenly places. And everything that is his as co-heirs of Christ, we're going to inherit one day. He doesn't owe us anything, but he's given us everything in Christ Jesus. This God who made behemoth and Leviathan came down to lay down his life for us so that Leviathan, the embodiment of evil, might take a shot at him. And he didn't win. He thought he might win by going after the Christ. But he didn't win. He was defeated when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Do you see it, brethren? This is our God. There's nobody like him. This is why Paul celebrates him. This is why Einstein said, everyone who is seriously interested in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to man, and one in the face of which our modest powers must feel humble, close quote. And J.B. Phillips said, if God was small enough to figure out, he, would, he wouldn't be big enough. To worship. That's why God is doing this. That's why he's showing this to Job and not just to Job, but for all those who would read the book of Job. He continues in this description of Leviathan by saying, I will not keep silence, verse 12, concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his orderly frame, 13. Who can strip off his outer armor? Who can come within his double mail? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth? There is terror. His strong scales are his pride, shut up as with a tight seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. He's impenetrable, if you will. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Leviathan is impregnable. Nothing can penetrate its tightly sealed hide. Since nothing can pierce its double coat of mail, Hunters used hooks and ropes, attempting to catch it apparently, but it was a, a perilous enterprise to say the least. Its numerous sharp, sharp teeth would fill you with terror, like facing the teeth of a massive great white shark. See, Yahweh is showing Job that his apprehensions about standing before God were, were on target. See, there are many people in the world that think one day they're going to stand before God and they're going to have a conversation and tell God what he did wrong and how he should have ran the universe. And I got my list of questions and, and I understand having a list of questions, but be careful because God is greater than Leviathan. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. His sneezes, <laughs> you hope Leviathan has a, a sneeze guard, right? His sneezes, 18, flash forth light. Talk about a power sneeze. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning, probably heavy. Out of his mouth go burning torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Is he fire breathing? Out of his nostrils, smoke goes forth as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. 
His breath kindles coals and a flame goes forth from his mouth. Could he be a fire-breathing sea dragon? Could he be even more frightening than we thought with his power and his size and his terror and his teeth and his coat? And now could he also breathe fire? This is an incredibly powerful uh, creature. And again, it's the lesser to the greater. Our God made him, designed him. In his neck lodges strength and dismay leaps or terror, ESV, dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart, maybe his chest here, is as hard as stone or rock, even as hard as a lower millstone. Now, if heart is the correct word, a thought here, that even if Leviathan's heart is like a stone, our God's is not. Our God is full of compassion and mercy. He delights in loving kindness, has said in Hebrew, mercy and loving kindness, unfailing love, that is our God. And as we watch Jesus cry at the tomb of Lazarus, we get a, we get a little bit of a way to peer into the heart of God. Even though God's got all the power that we could ever imagine, his heart is soft. Leviathan, uh-uh. Our Lord, oh yes. You see, he is full of love. And that love was demonstrated at the cross. And I've been sharing with you that there's something in the book of Job that we all need to see. And that Job is a type of Jesus. See, Jesus was the ultimate innocent sufferer. And the book of Job is about redemptive suffering. Job is going through what he's going through for a reason. And he doesn't understand every reason and every angle of this. But Job's story of uh, this suffering of an innocent man and this restoration and redemption is going to ultimately point to the ultimate innocent sufferer, Jesus Christ, the greater Job. And that's a big reason why the book of Job unfolds the way that it does. You're listening to Repentance and Restoration 2, Part 2, on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Job, Chapter 41. Just a reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and we know that times are tough and kind of weird right now, but we're not asking for much, just $5. So if you're a new listener, please don't give. We're just blessed that you're listening. But if you have been listening for a while, can you just give $5 today? We believe that the Lord is faithful and your $5 donation is going to go a long way to help us keep this ministry going. So give your $5 donation when you visit walkintruth.com and click on donate. That's walkintruth.com. Click donate. Now here's Pastor Michael. In the Lord's 77 questions to Job, in the questions we find answers. And certainly so many of us are looking for answers right now in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. Where are you looking for your answers? You know, people are catching up on, uh, you know, Netflix and people may be doing gardening or uh, sharpening up something at their home. But my question is, have you lost a little momentum in feeling a sense of repentance and the need for restoration? You know, this this uh, thing continues to go on, I know, but has is it becoming maybe too commonplace for us as we begin to turn a corner here? Are we 
getting back to business as usual without considering what God is saying to us. I, I hope not. And, I, and I'm saying that to myself as well because we want to stay away from pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And as he humbles Job here in the book of Job, it's amazing to, to see that God uses the things that he created, the things that may even be weird and mysterious and even dark to grab our attention. And I know he has, I think, most of our attention right now, but I want you to keep your focus there. And I'm again, I'm talking to myself. I want, my, I want to keep my focus on where the Lord wants me to be. Well, hey, we're so glad that you're listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lanson. I wanted to give a shout out to all of you who are partners with this great ministry of Walk in Truth. And I wanted to thank some additional new givers like Rudy from Downey, Melissa from Glendale, and Rosa from Fullerton, who's uh, been giving to us. And hey, we appreciate it. And all of you who give to this ministry, pray for us. And if you're considering giving, we appreciate that very, very much. Check out uh, how you can give at walkintruth.com. Well, my prayer for you is that you will be blessed as you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And remember, if you don't know Jesus, now is the time to make sure you get to know him, trust in him as your Lord, your Savior, your King, and your God. Make a decision to follow him. And hey, if you've made a decision recently, we'd love to know and celebrate with you. You can let us know at walkintruth.com and also send prayer requests to us at walkintruth.com. We'll catch you tomorrow. God bless you. Listen tomorrow for part three and the conclusion of Pastor Michael's encouraging message in Job 41 called Repentance and Restoration 2. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. As always, our goal is to reach out with God's truth to encourage, teach, and bless you during a time of hardship.